Welcome to the uh, June 6, 2012 um, edition of CNI Conversations. I'm Cliff Lynch, the Director of CNI. And today we have a um, special event where we are joined by James Hilton, who is the Chief Information Officer at the University of Virginia. Um, what we're going to be talking about is um, the work that James has been doing to define and advance an idea called the Digital Preservation Network, or DPN, uh, pronounced DEEPEN, and uh, usually referred to that way. Uh, you've probably heard something about this. Um, it's uh, received quite a bit of attention over the last uh, couple of months and has certainly been an evolving idea. Um, the first uh, really, I think, public rollout was at our um, CNI Spring meeting this April, and following that, um, James has given a number of, of presentations to other groups, including directors of the Association of Research Libraries and a um, group of uh, key university presidents through the um, AAU. And uh, we'll hear a little bit about that um, uh, as we carry on with this conversation. But I believe this project is important enough and complex enough that I felt it was worth um, uh, exploring in some depth with James. And uh, he's graciously agreed to spend some time with us talking about this. So welcome, James. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy to, always happy to talk about Deepin. It really is uh, an important idea, and um, uh, I'm really glad you could be with us. Why don't you start by just saying a little bit about the fundamental idea and its uh, origins? Uh, sure. The, the, uh, the origins are a series of conversations that have been had over the last uh, probably five or ten years with a bunch of people uh, from the library community and also from uh, the IT community. Um, so, well, you know, to get it out in the front, I sort of consider myself these days the chief evangelist for Deepin, but it is a, a collaborative shared vision uh, that involves lots and lots of folks, a growing number of folks. Uh, but, but the core ideas uh, that sort of motivate Deepin uh, is first that the scholarship that's being produced today uh, is, is going to be lost to future generations. Uh, we're on a path that despite the, the many and best efforts uh, we don't have a model yet that operates at scale that ensures the archiving and ultimately, you know, puts us on a path towards preserving uh, the the works that are being created. And it it's true for it's true for uh, electronic uh, text, digital text, where the you know where the journal journal digital books and journals require. Uh, different and more active strategies to maintain than than uh, paper copies. Uh, it's true uh, for emerging scholarship where we don't even yet understand really what the object is. I mean, we've had hundreds of years to understand what the book is as an object. Uh, I don't know yet if if you sort of think about scholarship as a public discourse between scholars, <clears throat> then Twitter is now. A part of the scholarly record, and I, I don't think we even yet understand how how to think about that, much less you know the questions of how to preserve and maintain it. 
And then it's true with data where you know, the, the two things that we sort of know about data is that the volumes of data are increasing at truly frightening uh, rates and that act, the access and preservation requirements that are going to go around those data are going to increase. So for example, the National Science Foundation is, now has data management plans. They're still a bit of a Rorschach, but they're going to become less of a Rorschach as time goes forward. So all of this stuff, uh, we are in uh, this digital world and the preservation strategies and the scale of preservation uh, that, that confront us are, are kind of daunting. And so Deepin really uh, sort of took on the task and instead of the conversations were not so much about so what's the technology that we need to, 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 to use to preserve these objects, it was really uh, embracing the notion that uh, Digital objects are, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ever-changing landscape, it's an emerging environment, and, and that what we need to do is to actually go after building a, a sort of what I think of as a complex adaptive system that aims at preservation that involves lots of technology and stuff, but at its core, Deepin is about creating a system, and it's, and it's built on a very simple idea. Uh, and the simple idea is that if you want things, if you want digital things to be um, preserved for the long haul, archived. Let's start with archiving. We can talk about sort of preservation and archiving and all that. But if you want them to be preserved for the long haul, then you really need to make sure that they're replicated uh, across uh, multiple organizations, across multiple technologies, across multiple geographic locations, and and ultimately across multiple political environments because each of those uh, constitutes a single point of failure. Yes, a, f a fault line. Exactly. Yeah, a fault line. Yeah. And, you know, mo most of what's going to be lost in the digital world isn't going to be lost because of technology failure. It's going to be lost because of organizational failure of will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that this notion of, of um, distributing things across all of those axes is really key. You know, a lot of um, a, a lot of technologists go for geographic distribution, for example, because they understand right. you know uh, earthquakes or floods or things. But um, I think that the the issues around organizational stability and indeed even sort of political stability um, or legal stability of jurisdictions is um, at least as dangerous um, and can produce very large-scale failures when it does fail. A absolutely. And, and that is, I think, in some ways the hardest part to get across uh, in Deepin and what is sort of at its core different about Deepin is most people understand and they talk about replication and will say, well, our data are replicated. What they really mean is that their data are their data are run like a a modern data center is run. So you know my my at UVA, uh, our core services are replicated, meaning we have the same we have a mirror uh, set of hardware and storage at some other site, and that guards against you know failure at one particular site. It doesn't guard against uh, say systemic uh, you know a, a fundamental flaw in the software. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't guard against the University of Virginia going out of business, not, not that we're looking to go out of business anytime soon, but it doesn't guard against those kinds of organizational failures. And, and Deepin really sort of takes the notion of replicate across geographic locations and says, okay, what are the other key 
you know, single points of failure that are out there. And again, I actually think organizational <laughs> is, is, is the fundamental one. You know, uh, my, my sort of poster child for how I think about, you know, organizational will is the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, which currently uh, it, it Sloan has funded keeping the bits spinning through 2013, and almost certainly uh, they will fund it through 2018. But I worry about what happens if Sloan, you know, at 2018 suddenly decides that cancer is the big thing that they're going to go after, and they move their money into that. Uh, you know, the, the, the question is how do we start to move the – how do we make sure that the Sloan Digital Sky data are available through 3013, mm -hmm. not through 2018? How do we start looking at a, a much longer horizon? I, I think, you know, another piece of this monoculture which, uh, you know, uh, as, as fault line, which I've um, been concerned about is security. Um, you really can't do long-term preservation without um, dealing with short and long-term security. Um, uh, you know, if, if the bits are, are vulnerable in the near term, the long term doesn't matter so much. And, um, it would seem this approach at least um, gives you some isolate, some insulation against um, uh, security flaws in specific um, uh, technology platforms. It, yeah, it it does. Uh, in that, I mean, one of the places where we first started in looking at the technology was, well, what happens if uh, what happens if you have a monoculture in a repository framework and you know, a, a virus is loosed or some kind of, uh, or, or you hit an architectural dead end, um, then what? Um, and so uh, trying to increase the diversity both at the hardware level and at the software level um, are, uh, was actually the starting place that we went to. And then we started thinking about organizational and political environments as, as the other ones. I think the other thing that is also true, that I worry about the monoculture. The other thing that I worry about is it's an, you know, uh, digital preservation is an incredibly complicated uh, problem if you try to tackle it, if you just try to tackle the whole thing. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think about preservation as sort of, it, it's, it's one of the things that's really been, you know, where did these ideas come from? You know, part of it is it's been really shaped by watching how um, the, the R&E networks that the Academy owns, how those sort of rolled out uh, over the last uh, decade and a half or so, uh, which was, you know, basically there was an argument made that the Academy has an intrinsic and unique interest in creating high-speed networks to enable, but both to enable uh, discipline, uh, network discipline-specific research, but also to enable um, uh, discovery and innovation in all disciplines. Uh, you know, uh, a high-speed network as an enabling platform. And so, Internet 2 was formed by the Academy, owned by and for the Academy, and. You know, it was really interesting. Networking is, of course, there are many layers to networks. It's a really complicated problem. Internet 2 started with what was simple and solvable at the time. They built a physical network. And over the la and, and, you know, and that physical network that they built uh, in comparison to the network that they're currently run, running was terrible. You know, they've, they've upgraded and replaced it since, and it was great at the time. But you know, it was always something that five years later you would get something better to come along. 
So one was they sort of committed to evolving and the network kept getting better and better. The physical network kept getting better and better. But the other thing that they did was they, they tackled that and then they started moving up the, the, the network stack. So they started moving up into uh, authentication and authorization. Um, this year, Internet2 announced NetPlus services, which is really at the highest level of the network stack, leveraging the network to, to provide uh, services uh, on top of it. And I look at the preservation space in a very similar way. And what we can do right now is we can create robust, diverse archives at the bit level, ensure at least that level of security and safety, while all the experiments and preservation efforts that are going on across a diverse set of communities uh, you know, start to standardize, start to find uh, some sustainable models. And you know, I imagine DeepIn is going to start by creating you know, uh, archives, dark archives, uh, across diverse ecosystems. Uh, and I imagine that uh, as that happens and as uh, there's progress made in other areas, Deepin will start moving up the stack. So it'll, you know, right now it's worried really, it's above storage, <laughs> right? It's about, it's really about file integrity and about succession rights. I mean, the other problem that we have right now is we have assets that are sort of owned by the academy, but stewardship is entrusted in a single unit. And if that unit goes away, there's no real good plan about how you get the academy to continue to own the stewardship and control of those resources. So Deepin can focus on making sure that we store things with integrity uh, and with succession planning and rights at the bit level. Uh, and, and over time, we'll start moving up to sort of you know, what I think of as the more preservation level, which is you know, how do you make sure that file formats and things like that continue to migrate going forward? How do you start to preserve as certain functionality starts to standardize? You, know, you can start, and, and there becomes an economy of scale. Deepin can move up to that over time. But it really starts with this principle that we're going to solve what we can solve at scale with security, and then we're going to, and will evolve as as our knowledge uh, grows and evolves. Yeah, the, the handoff issue you've identified, this question of succession planning, is something that I, I think we, we, the community has really only in the last few years recognized how genuinely critical that is. Um, if you look back, for example, at the um, Blue Ribbon Task Force on Sustainable Digital Preservation, it identifies that idea of you know, a, a handoff of stewardship responsibility as a very um, critical part of a successful system of preservation. Um, and um, making sure that we have the right kind of uh, custodial arrangements, um, legal arrangements, and everything else to do that, um, I, I think really is going to be very critical. Yeah, I mean, part of what I think about in all this space is we don't, you know, in the print. Well, so a couple of things. One is, of course, in the print in the print world, <laughs> that's all complicated by a whole bunch of uh, practices that the academy's engaged in over the last hundred years that have complicated the the intellectual property status of much of that work. And I'd also like us to start fixing that going forward. I mean, I'm I'm interested in solving in in trying to liberate the past, but I'm more interested in in making sure that we, we don't repeat those problems in the future. We don't outsource the stewardship and succession uh, of, of, of things that are created by and for the, primarily by and for the academy. Uh, and, that, 
and and so that's part of what Deepen uh, is is aimed at philosophically. Um, you know, one of the ways that I think about it is part of the challenges in the in the analog world. We understand as a faculty member the workflows that that go from research to publication to long-term preservation uh, have evolved over many, many years and, and are so deeply ingrained that they feel like it's, it's natural and it's the way it has to be. And part of the challenge that we have in the digital world is the digital world blows most of the things that drove those original workflows apart. So in an analog world, you know, take peer review as an example. Paul Caron always says, you know, people wonder whether peer, where, where is peer review going to go? Peer review is not going to go away. Peer review is what academics do. It's part of it's part of the breathing of being an academic. But peer review also has solved, served these economic functions. So in the analog world, peer review basically happens at three points. It happens prior to funding the research. It happens prior to publication and distribution and it happens at tenure and promotion. And the reason it happens at all those three places originally was because somebody was going to have to make a bet, and peer review turns out to be the best way to hedge your bet. Right? Sure. And, then, and then digital technology comes along, and it blows one of those points wide open, and that's the publication one. So in a digital world, I can distribute. I mean, not to say that it doesn't cost a lot to produce and all that, but the distribution, the publication and distribution stage, the marginal cost of that in a digital world is now zero. And we're wrestling with um, how, how do we, where, where we, and yet there still has to be some winnowing. There has to be some, uh, some decisions about, you know, what gets kept for the long haul and uh, what doesn't get kept for the long haul. And, Part of what Deepin tries to do is to provide a baseline infrastructure that you could start building workflows against, right? And say, so what part of all the scholarly record do we actually care enough about to put in Deepin now and forever? Because one of the principles of Deepin initially is that because it well one of the principles of Deepin initially is that things that are checked into Deepin don't check out. Right? It, it, it's not like a repository <clears throat> where you are constantly making access decisions and constantly making decisions about what's going to stay lit and not. The idea behind Deepin is that things are entrusted for Deepin forever and that short of, for example, a court order, they don't come out, um, meaning they're not withdrawn. Yeah, they're not deleted. They're not deleted, correct. Um, and you know, having ha, even just just trying, just getting to the point where you say, well, I have to answer that question. You know, is it going to turn out to be cheaper to deposit everything, and then in the event that uh, there's either failure or an access node decides that you know where where so part of what Deepin tries to leverage right now is the fact that most repositories that are out there are aimed primarily at providing access, and that's great. They're they're worrying about access, their their uh, their scale to provide access, all that. Deepin comes along and tries to say, underneath that layer, we want to add this archive. This this in the case of copyrighted, uh, in the case of text, we want to add this dark archive underneath where we're going to deal with succession. We're going to deal with verification in the event that those access nodes fail. In the event that they go away or change their mission or something, then, the, then we would still be in a position of deciding, well, 
do we like deepen within in a position of saying, is it you know, do we need to light that up again? Can we contract with somebody else to light it up again? We're just a steward of the bits right now and the succession rights. And you know, it's unclear to me whether it's going to be cheaper to basically dump everything, sort of you know, a workflow that basically shoves tons of things towards deepen, and then in the event of failure, makes decisions about what has to be recreated and relit or whether it's going to you know, make more sense to winnow on the way in. I, ha I have no idea. But what I believe is, is that if you, have a, if you start to have an archive that's running at scale, that, that's ambition is to capture the scholarly record, that it forces those questions and will evolve the answers. Yeah, and the answers may in fact be different for different genres of material. The, absolutely, um, for, yes. So, when, so one of the things that Deepin is trying to do in its early phase is to focus on providing this, this archiving, dark archiving layer for text. And it's dark because the reality in the text world is if you start to deal with access, then you, it, you, life gets incredibly complicated. And there are lots of places that are working on that right now. So Deepin doesn't need to solve that problem again, but it does say we still need to work out how do you have succession, how do you make sure that you have the bits, again, not preserved in a monoculture. So how do we take the assets of, you know, uh, how do we take the assets of Hadi Trust, or how do we take the assets of Clock Flocks, or, you know, pick, pick the text repository of your, of your choice, how do we make sure that those assets are also deposited in Deepin and, and, and enjoy the benefits of a diverse technical, organizational, um, uh, uh, geographic, and political framework? So let, let's look at this for a minute, um, specifically in, let's say, the text case, just right. to pick something sure. um, tangible. Because one of the places where I hear some um, confusion from people as they try and understand Deepin is where, where's the scope of the system and how does it relate to um, um, other systems that a campus might deploy or um, a group of campuses might deploy. So for example, in the case of um, HathiTrust, they have all of these um, digitized books. Sure. Uh, which they make available to the trust members and in many cases to the public. Sure. Um, the, so, so they're operating an access mechanism. Correct. Um, they, if they participated in Deepin, would build uh, an interface between um, the Haji Trust repository and the Deepin system across which they could push all of their holdings. Yeah, so I think one way to think about it is to think about those as, as uh, conceptually independent steps and decisions that can be made. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to build a dark archive system that has at least three different architectures, three different storage systems, three different organizations running the replicating nodes. And these are inside Deepin in a sense. These are inside Deepin. And actually the way I think about it is in the same way that Internet2 contracts with various organizations, currently they contract with Indiana University to, to run their global knock. If somebody comes along with a better plan, they'll turn and contract with them 
because Internet 2's view is the stewardship of the RNE network, not a particular relationship with Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. But Deepin wants to hold the stewardship of the long-time archival copies that are deposited with it. And it does that, the initial plan is, it does that by contracting with, uh, with with what will be different service providers who will run diverse replicating nodes. So we'd love to contract, you know, um, we, it, since Indiana and Michigan are actually the ones who run Hadi's infrastructure, right, we might contract with Michigan to run a Hadi Trust architecture-based replicating node. Uh-huh. Hadi Trust is an org, and we'd run one based on Fedora, and we'd run one based on Stanford, and we're in conversation, and uh, we're we're also looking at spinning one up based on Chronopolis, and potentially one uh, out of Texas on IROD. So we're looking at, you know, the, there's nothing magic about three. There is some number that is the right number of diverse ecosystems to have. We're going to try to answer that as we go along, but we know we want at least three. So w let's say we spin three up, one on Fedora, one on uh, Stanford's, uh, Stanford's architecture, and one on HathiTrust. There's a second question that HathiTrust as an organization will need to ask themselves, which is, do we want to deposit HathiTrust's content into Deepin? Right. And at that level, it's just like a university could ask, do we want to deposit some of our content into Deepin? in order to basically take basically to serve two primary functions one is a risk mitigation right in in the event of catastrophic failure say in the event of a university repository in the event of catastrophic failure of that repository deepen would still have copies of the content the data and the metadata you'd have to rebuild functionality into it but those would those would be there so one is as just pure risk mitigation. And at that level, by the way, we're interested in talking to commercial content owners as well, because it seems to me the logic ought to, ought to play for them too if they trust our security and that our motives are in fact pure. And, and I presume actually your, your, um, your archive services that you contract with could include commercial players. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, the important thing is, is that the academy retains control of it. Right. <laughs> But you can do that through contracts. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then the, 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 uh, so the, the first benefit that you get from it is um, a, a risk mitigation. Uh, the, the, the second benefit that you get from it is, again, this, this way of winnowing, of, of, of determining what, what stuff really does the academy need stewardship of, or do you want the academy to potentially take stewardship of? which especially when I think about multi-institutional collaborations, that's a much more efficient way to solve the problem than each of those institutions trying to solve it on their own. Very much so, and especially I, I would think when you get into not just scholarly outputs, if you will, but also the evidence base that mm -hmm. supports scholarly work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there you really want to kind of collect that on behalf of the entire academy. Right. Uh, we started conversations with Deepin around, you know, the ambition, and the, and the main focus initially is around, you know, the scholarly record. The scholarly record is a fairly precious concept. Um, uh, you know, um, scholars appreciate it, but but we also ultimately, you know, it's the grist for scholarship that you want. So the the example that I always think about is, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with Turner Worldwide 
They own amazing assets that you know document uh, essentially culture of the twentieth and you know early twenty first centuries through all the movies and 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 rich media assets that they have. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with them that says all we want to do is provide you an avenue for making sure that you have a copy of that that's diverse and different from your own infrastructure. And if you ever decide you don't care about it, recognizing that that might never happen, but if you ever decide you don't care about it, it doesn't get lost. There's a succession right that, that, that comes in. I'd love to have that conversation because I think that they should be motivated by the same logic that should motivate a library. You'd think so. And, you know, the Internet Archive has made at least some modest steps in, in some of those areas. Yeah. And, um, and, and I mean, it's a compelling social argument. Yeah. And, again, if you can – and part of the reason why in the, in the, in the parts that are where copyright rears its head, um, you know, I think another thing that's taken us a long time to work through and that people get uh, concerned about is – um, so what we're talking about is a dark archive, which uh, in the event of catastrophic failure, or in the event, yeah, well, catastrophic, which could be organizational, but in the event of failure of an access node, right, then the academy has the opportunity to decide whether to relight it and how to relight it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people start with the, with the proposition that you can't do preservation without access. And Deepin uh, heartily endorses, I mean, the philosophically endorses that, the safest digital bits are bits that are looked at by many eyes frequently. But the reality is that for many of the works, that's never, that, that is not in, in any near term going to be possible um, because of intellectual property uh, requirements. So Deepin tries to solve that problem by saying, well, we're, we're going to applaud, support, leverage all the access-oriented repositories that are out there, and we're going to try to build a layer below it aimed specifically at dark preservation where we say, so what are the other ways that we can minimize the risk through continual audit and through succession and verification? So what, what do you see as your, your kind of initial priorities in terms of the classes of content you'll handle. We, we talked about text, and right. certainly that seems to be high on everyone's list. Right. So the, uh, you know, one of the other thing that Deepin is really committed to is, is, is now really trying to run uh, like a startup. So at this point, we have institutional commitments from 55 institutions. Um, uh, we have uh, a group of uh, presidents who have agreed to work with us on um, a governance structure. So another thing that we're taking from the Internet2 playbook is, is that uh, the digital preservation of the Academy's assets are one of those things that actually, if you say, so who in the university needs to own the stewardship of this problem? It is the presidents. Um, uh, in Internet2, uh, uh, I happen to chair the Internet2 governance uh, committee and, and I'm on the board. And you know the board structure of Internet2 is really interesting. It's, it's, uh, the majority of the board has to come from uh, universities 
so the board is dominated by universities. They always have to constitute a majority. The largest, as I like to think of them, gaggle of, of board members must be presidents. The second largest gaggle is probably CIOs. Uh, indeed, in, you know, it will probably be presidents as the largest gaggle and librarians as the second. Um, but you know, the way I think about it is the presidents are, are the largest group and universities must always be the majority because the stewardship has to belong to it. So we are, uh, so Deepin is uh, focused on running as a startup. So we've got, the focus area is going to be on um, with, uh, actually shipping code. <laughs> or, well, <laughs> shipping, shi I, I think of it as shipping code. It's really not shipping code. It's proving, de yeah. proving demonstrating that you, can get a, that you can get a replicating node triad working, that you can work out the verification and audit and succession uh, procedures, that you can work out the transport issues. Um, and we'll start with text because text is the easiest of the problems to solve and because I think we know a lot about where the minefields are uh, in text. Uh, again, that's part of what drives this commitment in text for a dark archive. At the same time, the goal is going to be to, uh, to, to engage uh, some of the data communities uh, around this question of what's the need in the data communities for something for the for the sort of deep in logic, and and there I think you know the real challenge is can we engage the data communities in this question of what I think of as perpetual preservation, long-term preservation. So m my sense again in most of the data communities right now is is that they are primarily access oriented. They have a five, maybe ten, maybe twenty-year horizon. And so, you know, for for a, a data triad, it might not be dark, but the selling point for them is it's it's about long-term preservation. How do you have a data management strategy that includes those elements of data which are worthy of preserving? Lots of you know, science is built on replication, so in lots of instances, it's easier to just rerun the experiment. Um, but for some, that's not possible. So the short-term goal is, you know, work with the presence on governance get the program up and running, demonstrate proof of concept over the next 18 months, uh, demonstrate proof of concept, uh, replicating, the, replicating node with triad, uh, replicating the triad aimed at text, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and engage some of the key uh, players in, 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 in the data communities that would be amenable to this kind of logic. Yeah, and I, I think one really important um, uh, thing is is that that data community is not monolithic by right. any means. There's right. actually lots of different sub pieces of it with very different um, right. uh, needs and and um, you know very different uh, levels of maturity in its existing uh, infrastructure and thinking. Um, it wouldn't be fun about um, <laughs> the, the sort of um, relatively short-term perspective on a lot of data preservation is, is really right on. Um, uh, you know, I've been involved in many of these discussions about sustainability and, you know, they're really talking about sustaining an access mechanism as much as, you know, an access and aggregation mechanism much more than a really seriously long-term preservation strategy. 
Right, and I, I always think it's always the example that I, I think I, astronomy is the place where I'm really struck by God. We got to get ahead of this because, you know, supernovas happen uh, not very frequently, and uh, and those data are going to be good forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, good in the sense of useful forever if we can if we can preserve them. There's lots of other data will come and go, but but some of it. We, and so finding, finding the data communities that are going to be open to engage with that preservation argument, I think, is going to be is, is, the, is the primary challenge for the next uh, 12 months or so. The good news is we have uh, people who are uh, engaged in, in leading each of those efforts. So, so we're, we're trying to solve these problems in parallel, not, not sequentially. Now, I, I presume at some point, um, uh, digital video is going to also come up as an issue. Have you got anything active going there, or is that just one on the list? Well, it is one on the list, but it's one that's kind of in a special place on the list because one of the so I said we have 55 uh, institutional commitments. One of the institutional commitments we have is from uh, the John Evans Foundation, and uh, John Evans uh, has been involved in these discussions from the very beginning. He's really he's he's hosted a number of meetings and uh, he's he's uh, participated in them and and he comes from the cable industry. Uh, he's actually the one who said, you know, Turner, they're the people you ought to be talking about talking to for this. He's also one of the co-founders of uh, C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're really interested in is, you know, if you start looking at uh, digitized video right now, we know that there are some repositories out there that ought to be pretty amenable to this uh, to this discussion. One would be so C-SPAN right now keeps their archives uh, at Purdue, I believe, um, and so we're uh, we're we're going to enter into conversation with them about what's the architecture and what would a replicating node framework look like for them. You know, I keep thinking about. Um, the the Shoah archives and whether there's you know how, how diverse is that so again taking the same uh, uh, the same logic if we can find um, two or three uh, uh, again currently access oriented video repositories interested in, in in engaging in the logic and the exercise um, I think we would be able to find uh, a lot of backers for that. Yeah, and and there really are some significant assets around the ones you mentioned, uh, Vanderbilt's News Archive right. is another one, and there are also these big um, collections of of captured lectures and material like that. Right, and I worry a lot <laughs> about you know the pressure that higher education is under, and how long any single institution will you know. There, there are no guarantees that any institution is going to see any of these things now as an asset going forward. Collectively, I have great confidence that we will, but institution by institution, I don't know. So I'd really like to get um, all of those things into a federated system with yeah. succession rights. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the individual institutions are increasingly vulnerable um, as they try and underwrite some of these big collections. Right, and, and the beauty about Deepin from that perspective is it doesn't compete. That is, if it is a strategic asset to run an access-oriented repository out of your university, Deepin doesn't undermine that at all. It actually says, right, and you've got the risk management in place 
to sustain it. Mm -hmm. uh, when we first rolled it out, a lot of people kept thinking, well, doesn't Huddy Trust already do this? And, and they really are 100% complementary, not competitive at all. Um, uh, they're just different places in the stack, and they aim to solve different problems. And, they tr and, and the goal is to leverage each other and to do it at scale so that we can afford it. I and mean, when we talk to the presidents about this problem, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I tried to impress upon them was um, we are all going to be spending more money on digital preservation. We, it, if that's where scholarship is going, we have no choice but to spend more money on it. The question is not whether we're going to spend more money uh, on digital preservation. The question is whether we're going to do it at scale and efficiently or whether we're going to do it in one-offs that, that not only will be more, uh, more expensive, but if you buy the logic of Deepin, they are, they are inherently vulnerable. Yeah, much less effective. Right. Yeah. Well, I certainly um, think you've uh, laid out a pretty bold agenda. and. Um, we will follow closely uh, what happens over the next um, uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, I know that um, you and your uh, colleagues uh, on Deepin will keep us informed through uh, things like the um, CNI meetings. And um, uh, there's, there's certainly more we could talk about even today, but um, uh, I think that um, you've done a wonderful job of giving us a sense of, of how the architecture is evolving, how the priorities and timeline shaping, and um, some of the very important groundwork in really getting institutional commitment to this at the presidential level um, as you know part of the core future of, of the academy. Um, so I really thank you for taking the time to uh, step through all this uh, for um, the folks who listen to CNI conversation. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. And I and and you know I at the fall meeting we, we, the the goal will be to tell you what we've done and where we're headed <laughs> as opposed to where we're headed. I'm looking forward to it. Alrighty. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.